with my wife tonight. You make me rich, Daryl, wherever you are. And Bethany, you make us rich. You are our inheritance. You know that scripture where it says that our eyes of our heart might be enlightened. We may know whatever it is. Give us spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God. Our eyes might be enlightened to know the hope of our calling and the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Did you realize we make God rich? It's his inheritance in us. So as fathers and mothers, you, you make us rich. And I pray, even as Paul, that your testimony would light up New England like a blazing lamp. Amen. This is my wife. She's really the one that's made it all possible. And uh, she's traveled with She's traveled not done the most crazy things and never has argued with me, maybe except once when I was reading Reese Howells. And now it's my favorite book. Right? Yeah. She's more like Reese Howells than I am. It is an incredible privilege to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for just inviting us and for loving us. You guys are the answer to our prayers. I feel like I walked in and I felt like the Lord said, this is your history. And everybody here has been prayed in. You are God's heart to us here tonight. And the answer for his partnering with us and us partnering with him. So I just want to thank you for coming out on a cold night and for obeying. But what happens is when you sow in another man's field, you become part of their history. And part of the storyline. So I feel like tonight we just invite you into the storyline, the great story that God's invited us to be part of. So Lou just told me he wanted me to share, so I'm not quite sure what to share, but there's a lot, there's a lot that I, that's in my heart. I guess I feel like I want to read Psalm 110. Is that okay, hon, for a minute? Sure. Because I feel like you are the army that's volunteering, and um, I've been reading for months, really, and for years on the student volunteer missions movement. And this is the area where that came out of. And I feel like you guys are going to be part of either going or sending. And that's all of our purpose, is to ekbalo laborers and to pray laborers into the field. So you will be one or the other. You will either be praying or sending or going yourself. And that's what we're all here for, is to know him and to make him known. That's the ultimate goal. So since Bethany talked about Psalm 110, I just want to turn to it. Because we, before we named the call, we were in a small room going around the room saying, what should we name it? Had a list of things. And one of the things we thought about naming it was the dawning. Because in Psalm 110, if you turn there with me, it talks about it. Or get on your iPad or however you get there. It says, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter. From Zion, you will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. So it talks about volunteering freely in the day of his power, and I just want to thank you for volunteering freely and believe that we're going to partner together. So I bless you, and one of the things I just always like to say about my husband, I honor him because who he is in public is who he is at home. We have the privilege of having seven beautiful children, and when they come down in the morning, the ones that are still home, the three, the first thing he says is, did you have any dreams? <laughs> so he lives, and he lives his passion. Amen. Thank you, honey.
This is incredible. Bethany, I didn't realize you were there. Had I ever met you in Toronto? That's 1996. 2006. Ten years later, we're doing atomic power through prayer and fasting. And 2015, I was going to preach on atomic power through prayer and fasting. Okay, my wife has a word. And, and not a word, but I, whoops, I don't normally do this, but um, we didn't bring any books. But if you want to get one of his best books, it's Prayek Balo. It's about the, uh, sending missionaries out and being sent into the mission field. You could go to thecall.com. It's a great one. Thank you, honey. So I'm going to talk tonight about atomic power through prayer and fasting. You see, Lou, you, see, Lou, you always preach on this. Well, I don't apologize for it because, you see, Because, you see, I can only do what the Father has given to me. I'm not trying to be Fred or, or Susie. I, I try too hard to try to be everybody else. I, I got to do what is written inside of me. And God for me put a little computer chip. Fast, 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 fast. I hate fast. You may not be happy that you came tonight after this week. But I actually believe that what happens tonight could change the future of New England. I'm not apologetic for it because I've lived this thing for 25 years. Maybe 30 years is when I did my first fast. I was mowing lawns and I fasted three days. Mowing lawns and... I thought, man, angels, at the end of three days, I felt like heaven was so close to me. I thought, angels are mowing this lawn, dude. <laughs> Seriously. I, you know, something about fasting, it's kind of like a doorway to a realm that thins the veil, so to speak. That we touch a realm of glory. I'm not saying that fasting is that the blood brings us into the entrance of the Father. But fasting is a God-given means to actually enter into a nearness of God that is actually, I believe, given to us by God. It is a God-ordained means to enter into a glory realm, which I wish I entered more, but I'm not done yet. Hey, tonight, I've got four people with me from California, Pasadena for California, Pasadena for California, <laughs> that, that we've started something called SAFA. You think I'm weird. Exactly. It's called Spiritual Air Force Academy. See, see, the deal is, you would never... Man, this is here. You, you, it would be unthinkable to try to take Normandy without, first of all, blowing the heck out of the defensive forces that were there on the shores of Normandy you need an Air Force to blow strongholds to pieces. God's restoring the Air Force and the ground force. Supposed to move together. So they came. And the first day we have this spiritual Air Force. One of the things we do is we say that the, the Battle of Britain was won because they had radar. You don't fight without intelligence. The first day... One of our gals, Stephanie, has a dream 
And we know that this was, in one sense, maybe the foundational dream for the whole movement, that God wanted to do something in New England. Come on. Now that's craziness. But remember, when first, pay close attention to first things. Because God is speaking to you about priorities of his heart. So, they're here today because of that dream. And they've come here to pray. I want the team to come. David, come on, David. The whole team, come on. And we, we have James Jackson from Berkeley School of Music. So, David, just tell them what you're doing here. And then maybe Stephanie, tell that dream. We, we came because of the dream, and also we, we work with college campus students. Um, and so with Safa, we do prayer and fasting strikes into the hardest, darkest parts, hopefully to the ends of the earth. But right now, we go to places in America, and, and we work with college campus students, and we got wind of what God was doing here uh, in this region with, with uh, John Howard and Peter Kim and Israel and, and all the wildness that's happening. So we need to come. We just want to share stories of what God's doing in California and stir your faith to begin to pray and fast for revival. So we just had an afternoon and, and God crashed on us and we began to pray, but we're really excited for what God's doing in this region. Okay. Share the dream. Okay. So um, our prayer room in Pasadena is called the war room. And so in the dream, we were in the war room and David says, stretch forth your awakening rod over the campus is God. And he says, let's take time to pray for the Northeast. Everyone turned to Psalm 15. And then we began to rumble. And David starts declaring, it's time for awakening. It's time for awakening. It's time for awakening over and over and over again. And I get a picture of James. And he's stretched out on the floor crying out over the Northeast. And it reminded me of Elijah when he was stretched out over the dead boy. And the boy came back to life. And um, he's travailing. And we all lay hands on him. And someone in the room gets a word and starts declaring over him, because of your obedience, I, or God, have given you authority to bind and loose in Boston. Um, <laughs> and then someone else hears um, and declares over him, you are an apostle to awaken the sleeping ones. And then I heard the Lord say to the angel of the church, write, and then I felt um, that God was saying that he was going to give him revelation to release in key cities. And then the scene shifted, and it was our same crew with Safa. But we were older, we were all with families, and we're in the war room again. We're sitting around a huge map. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with the 4K maps that take up the whole room and the nations. And uh, we were praying over it, and we heard the word Iqbalo. And we were deciding who was going where to raise up a base, a contending base. And we were committing our families to entire chunks of America. And um, we stand and we put all of our arms in the circle, kind of like the Three Musketeers, like all for one, one for all. And um, we say, from the campuses of America to the nations of the earth. Yeah. It was just over and over again, just all continue. Right, here we go. So this is Audrey, and this is James from Berkeley. Uh, uh, Audrey from Pepperdine started a prayer movement in Pepperdine that rocked the school. And David Kim is, is, is my fasting son. I have a Korean fasting son. He does 40-day fast. He just did a 40-day fast on water before the call Berkeley. And, and, and he's just a madman. I love madmen. I would rather tame a madman than try to raise a dead man. Stand with me. 
We're just going to do the dream. Because in the dream, we were stretching out a awakening rod, and we were just commanding, awakening, awakening, awakening. I want you to lift your voice and just begin to begin to pray for awakening for New England and the universities of Boston, God. Father, we just say right now, it's time for awakening. We dare believe, God. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would remember the prayers of Jonathan Edwards right now, Lord God. Even now, Lord God, the student volunteer missions movement. And we just declare over the universities, awakening, God. Awakening, God. Loose another awakening. Father, we say it's time for awakening in Boston in Jesus' name. God, far too long have we slept. Far too long have we slept, God. We say awakening, 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 awakening in Jesus' name. God, we ask that you would raise up a generation of burning ones all across the East Coast, God, over the campuses, God. Stretch forth your awakening rod. Release awakening. Release awakening. A student volunteers missions movement over the campuses. God, we ask that the students would arise, that you would awaken their hearts even tonight. Awakening, oh God. Yeah, God, I ask that you would raise a burning and shining ones on every campus across America, Jesus. Burning ones that would set themselves on fire, God. That would prioritize intimacy with you, Jesus, over every other lover, God. They would set their faces to know you, that you would have the due reward of your suffering in the earth, Jesus. You are worthy of the campuses of America. You are worthy of America, Jesus. God, I ask that you would raise up hungry-hearted ones, God, that would give themselves over to prayer and fasting. God, that you would come and you would find one that you can dwell in, that you can rest on, that you would have a resting place in the earth, Jesus. Father, we thank you that we will not place our faith in statistics. We will not place our faith in past experience. We put our faith in the word of the Lord that has been spoken. We say that your word will not return to you void. It will accomplish it for what it was sent. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, may this snow be a prophecy that what has come down from heaven will not return void. It will accomplish that for which you send it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, Bethany, I want you to come. I want Bethany to once again tell the story of the guy from Bethel. Just tell that story. We tell stories over and over again. Dutch Sheets just preached uh, preached in Pasadena. And he says what the script, what he says, when we say we have come full circle, it does not mean that we've somehow failed and have to come back around the mountain again. He says, when you go full circle, you actually come again to the same place, but you're higher up the mountain. And when you tell the testimony of what happened in the past, in the Hebrew understanding, it releases the same power as it was when it first happened. It releases power into the earth. So when you talk about the New England awakening, you're not just talking about it. You're releasing the power of testimony so we don't tire of telling our history. For in telling it, we come full circle. If that was not enough, his message was... Coming full circle, my favorite movie of all time is The Field of Dreams. 
Kevin Costner, he's my hero. <laughs> Pasadena Weekly that day comes out, and the title of the article is Comes Full Circle. Kevin Costner and the Field of Dreams. And I felt in my heart that every prophecy that God has given to us, even if it takes 20 years, is still in effect. He just looks for a generation that refuses to abandon the prophetic promises because of circumstances, because everything seems to have gone opposite from the prophecy. Just ask Joseph if it works. Just ask Joseph if you hang around long enough. I want you to tell this story. And I hear stories like this. Man, my faith leaps. I tell it wherever I go, but I don't know the story. I just tell it bad. I want Bethany to tell it again. And I want us to re-lock on to the promises of God. And if you feel like you failed, you haven't. You might have. <laughs> I'm found. i finding, finding out that God is faithful. When we have been unfaithful, he has a way. He, he's locked on to us a whole lot more than we've locked on. It's called covenant. God locks on to something and he just doesn't let it go. So when we remind him of his word, we're declaring to him, like in, his, in chapter 62 of Isaiah, we are his secretaries. Day and night, give him remembrance. Remind the Lord However it goes. How does that go? Give him no rest. Until he fulfills his prayer. We're like secretaries. Reminding God of his appointments. You got an appointment with New England. You got a new day and night. You got an appointment with New England. You've got a, an appointment with New England. Tell that story. Around 2003, the Lord began to speak to me about a college campus in Bradford, Massachusetts. And the college campus, as I began to research it, it's, the, it's where Adoniram Judson and Anne Hazeltine were commissioned from. The first board for foreign missions was established there. So although they sailed from the Salem Wharf in Massachusetts, the, the commissioning and the prayer and the finance came from Bradford, Massachusetts. And so there was a college there that Anne Hazeltine was a part of. And long story short, there was an awakening that took place on the college campus. And history says that when you stepped on the campus, it was like stepping under the thunderings of Mount Sinai, that there was such a weight of God's presence. And it was actually in tandem with the great awakening that was taking place at um, Williams College with the Haystack Revival. And so I began prayer walking this campus. And honestly, at that time in 2003, I began to say, God wants to bring another student volunteer missions movement. And at that time, I was praying over a specific geographic location, knowing that God wanted to preserve that well and to, that it would once again be used for its intended purpose. It was about three years later when Lou had asked us for, to do the launch here in Boston. And I went on a three-day water fast because I did not have a word that I was supposed to come to Boston. And the Lord said to me, he said, go back to the word you received in Redding, California. I was in Redding, California, um, 
for a conference there. And when I was there, this was in 2005, I, and I had been prayer walking this campus for two years. As I stood at the altar, a prophet walked up to me. He's from California. He's part of their staff there. He'd never met me before. And when the prophet walked up to me, he looked at me and he said, you have eyes for the nations of the earth. And he said, the place where your feet stands, Bradford College. He said, it it will be the crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth. And he began to prophesy to me. And what he said specifically was, he said, as you labor and see awakening on the college campuses of Boston, it'll be the catalyst for the student volunteer missions movement you've seen in your spirit. And he said that the Lord is drawing the nations of the earth to Boston. He said, the nations of the earth are, are coming to Boston. He said, they think they're coming for a degree. He said, but the Lord has called them there to receive the fire of God. And he said, I see spontaneously when awakening takes place in Boston, that fire covers the globe instantaneously. And, you know, he prophesied this whole word about student volunteer missions. He was saying all these things that were confirmed to me. But at that point, I wasn't hearing from the Lord about Boston or about college campuses. And so it wasn't until I went back to that word that I began to understand that it was from the universities that as there was awakening, that it would be the catalyst for the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you, Father, tonight that even as you spoke to us in 2006, God, as you gave us a word in 2006, Lord, that the mind of a generation had been poisoned, that there was poison ivy on the mind of a generation, and Lord, that as there was healing that came to their mind, that Lord, a younger generation would become light and glory to the nations of the earth. Lord, right now we are asking for a mass deliverance upon the college campuses of Boston. Lord, we say deliver a mind, the mind of a generation from secularism. Deliver a mind of a generation from humanism. Lord, deliver the mind of this generation. Lord, we ask for light and truth to flood their mind. We say break the spirit of deception. Break the stronghold of deception. And we call forth truth on the college campuses of this region. God, we say raise them up to be light and glory to the nations of the earth. We call forth fulfillment of Winthrop's word that Boston would be the stepping stone for the gospel to the nations of the earth. Lord, we say do it in our day. Do it in our time, oh God. So tonight we're launching prayer and fasting for 40 days. We're going to pray that vision. You may be seated. Silence suddenly swept into the place. You're what, Lou? You're exactly right. We're calling 40 days of fasting. Starting tonight. Some of you are thinking, I am out of here. I didn't say on water. But that would work too. Tonight I'm going to talk about atomic power through prayer and fasting. We're also going to pray for ISIS for the next 40 days. Uh, I got got a prophetic faith in my heart. Something's going down. I I, I mean, the U.S. Center for World Mission. Do you know there are so many people now in Syria, the refugees, they're being converted to Jesus everywhere. They're getting converted. See, when God shakes things, when there is chaos, he releases kairos. 
in the midst of the chaos, the church is praying, evangelists are going forth, people are having dreams because everything they were secure in, even their own religion is being shaken because they can't come to terms with beheadings. They're beginning to ask questions and everywhere, see, that's what happens. He shakes the heavens and the earth and the fruit begins to fall off the trees. So, so chaos releases kairos moments. It's in times like this that the church isn't to freak out in fear. It's to move into evangelism intercession. This is the this is where Satan was thrown down when children refused to deny Christ and get beheaded for it. You know that demon powers are being shaken because they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the time, and loved not their life under death. I tell you, Islam is being shaken in the spirit right now. This is the time for the church to arise and win the battle of the heavens. Come on. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to uh, um, um, Mark chapter 3, maybe 1. Mark chapter 1. Man, I wish I could just see you guys over here. So here's the deal. God is recovering certain kinds of words. Tomorrow... I am going to speak on putting Christ and the ecclesia back into the motto of Harvard. Veritas, how does it go? Veritas Christo et ecclesia. Tomorrow night, I'm going to put Christo and ecclesia back into the motto that Harvard thought they could remove. Can you imagine them saying we can get rid of these guys by getting them out of the motto? <laughs> In fact, them getting rid of the getting rid of the motto is that's what actually brings forth the ecclesia. When the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and His anointed, that's when God says, "I'm starting my own governmental center in the universe." Ask me, I'll give you Harvard as your inheritance. It's like those guys shaking their fists at God, those little professor dudes, those humanist professor dudes. We hate you. It's like a little kid beating on a father's knee. I'm so mad at you. And then it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Dude. He's about ready to get the rod of God. Anyway, that's what I'm preaching on tomorrow, I think. Unless I have a dream. <laughs> God's recovering certain kinds of words. He's going to speak on the word ecclesia. He's going to release faith for the prayer movement in New England. But that's the other thing is I'm, I, I've been preaching this word ekbalo. My wife's talked about it. Ekbalo is not a soccer game. Ekbalo is the word that Jesus used. When he said, when he saw the harvest, it was so ripe for harvest. He's broken with compassion for the harvest he comes out of that vision and he says, truly the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to ekbalo laborers into the harvest field. The word ekbalo, we use send. It's like doing this. It's like a baseball player. A baseball player, pitcher doesn't send the ball. Be thou sent, ball. The word ekbalo and Jesus' words 
He means what he says. He says the word is, pray the Lord of the harvest to hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. It's the intensity of his passion. When you pray the prayer that Jesus commanded us to pray, I tell you what, he is waiting for that prayer. Pray. The word pray is didomai. It's the word not normally for prayer. It is a word for beseech or beg. And it's in the imperative tense. I'm just doing a quick rundown. He basically said, I command you to beg me, hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. Come on. Come on. For the universities, God, I beg you, hurl forth laborers into Cambridge. Hurl forth laborers into MIT. Hurl laborers. Oh, if the... Oh, I tell you what, if we'd ever get this, it's the words of Jesus, red letter edition. And we haven't even obeyed him. We might pray it once in a while. It's the prayer that actually releases the labors. Because why would Jesus say pray if it didn't work? Why did he just say go? I'll tell you why. Because prayer is getting God engaged in the scene. To do things you could never do otherwise. Come on. Pray. Let's stand with me and pray. Why Why don't we pray? We go to church, that's not even the word they used. Jesus used in, the, in that passage. Now you're getting mad at me, but never mind. He uses the word ecclesia. He basically says when you come to church, you're going to a prayer meeting. You don't even have prayer meetings. You have worship and a good preacher, maybe. With a two or three part sermon, Jesus said, when you come together, you don't get a two or three part sermon. You get two or three gathering together in my name. And whatever they ask in my name, that's the ecclesia. I want you to lift your voice and I want you to never stop again. Pray the Lord of the harvest to sweep through New England. The harvest is ripe, but no one's praying. Andrew Murray said the number of missionaries on the field is entirely dependent on someone praying those laborers into the field. The church hasn't taken Jesus' words. I'm repenting. I lose it too. Father, we pray today, Lord of the harvest, ekbalo laborers into the harvest fields of New England, into the harvest fields of the, of the Ivy League schools, make them God for the healing of the nations. Lord of the harvest, go ahead, pray. Lord of the harvest, I command, I beg you, hurl forth laborers. The great-grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards are lost. God, come to the great-great-grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards. Hurl forth laborers into the harvest field. We ask in Jesus' name, God. Amen. You may be seated. We do it like the Koreans. They lift their voices in prayer, then they ring a bell. You know, they, they start the prayer. Gio! <laughs> Then they ring a bell and everything stops. I like Korean praying. And it's biblical praying. Thank God for the meditative folks, but the Bible says the sound in heaven was like a sound of many waters. You don't like noise, don't go to heaven. Of course, the Africans are gonna be leading us in worship anyway, so never mind. Wait till we get to the Caribbean music. It's awesome. And they lifted up their voice in one accord. I don't think so. Not Jewish guys. They lifted up their voice in one accord. Ah! Anyway, 
I'm from California, excuse me, but, and I rock, so never mind. I just found out that premature babies a lot of times rock. I was premature, so now I've found out my problem, and I'm not going to cure it because I like it. I'm still rocking myself to sleep. I once felt like Lord Mighty said, Lou, I want you to give up rocking, and I begged him. No, anything but. He said, I release you, son. It helps you pray. I'm sorry. I got to get on the message. So God, God wants to recover certain words because we don't understand it. There's another word, ekbalo, and we don't get this. I want to just say this. Jesus is not done living his life. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, but Christ in us is the hope of glory. People are screaming legalism, grace. Christ has done it all. Hallelujah. Just enjoy it. Don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. Christ is trying to live his life through you. Christ is the prototype son. And we are being conformed into the image of his son. And if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. Fasting is not some religious duty. It's Christ when he wants to move into fasting. He actually begins to groan through us. You don't need to learn how to pray. Find out what is being groaned inside of you and give articulation to the groan. Christ is inside of us. We are being brought into glory. That's the goal of history is to bring many sons to glory. Sons that are, he's the prototype and we're on his machine of history. Uh, not a machine, but for better word. We are being made just like the one in his image. This is glorious. Don't get into this thing that you don't have to fast or these things. No, Jesus, there are times when Jesus is fasting. But he needs a body to do it. Come on. He's in heaven, but he needs a body on earth. So Jesus is groaning inside. Ekbalo laborers into the harvest field. But he's looking for someone to groan on earth. What he's groaning is the head is in heaven, but his body is on the earth. And we think, well, we're just going to have a joyride. He wants to live through us die through us. Paul said, I am making up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. How's that for a, a New Testament Bible verse? I only want you to see this. this so ecle, I talked about ecclesia tomorrow, but this is the one that I, that's, the Lord's been hammering on. Verse, verse uh, 9. And in those days, well, uh, let's, re let's read it before that. Of course, there's a better one in Matthew, better thing. But uh, verse 7, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. And I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And um, yeah, this is it. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. I think it's interesting that this message comes first before the fasting message. We're not fasting to somehow make God pleased with us. We are his son in Christ Jesus. We are already beloved in Christ. That's great news. I remember years ago, I was in emotional breakdown, weeping, going to work, just losing it. And I remember in those days, I was 
pondering this scripture, I says, Lord, if you could, if I could only hear you say, you are pleased with me. Anybody ever say that? If I could just say that you're pleased with me. He says, son, are you in me? He says, yes, my life. I said, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he says, then if you're hidden in Christ, then all I see is Christ. And the same word that I spoke to my son, I speak to you because you are hidden. All I see is Christ. You, son, are my beloved son. And God began to drive out my demons of depression and discouragement because I knew that God was seeing me through Christ himself. It's time to stop trying to have an entrance into the presence of God through the law. The law is absolute. The blood has made a new and living way that we walk in Christ into the presence of the Father and his smile is upon us whether we sinned a minute ago or not. I'm not talking false grace. Actually, grace produces those kinds of people that deny ungodliness and unrighteousness in this life to be a people possessed by God. But it doesn't start there. It starts by knowing that you are his beloved son. Come on. Say that with me. I am his beloved son. Lord, we pray that you would baptize us with this confidence. This is our identity. We are the bride of Christ. And we are the generic sons of God. Oh, we got to get this. I, I believe two things are going to be manifested in the end of the age. He's going to have a bride without spot or wrinkle. And number two, he's going to have sons who are like him who rule. Thank God. The bride. Intimacy moves his heart. The sons. But dominion gives him glory. Come on. Intimacy moves his heart, but dominion gives him glory. When professors at Harvard have to deal with the men like Daniel who are having their little prayer meetings and dreams that are exposing their stuff, I tell you what, they'll begin to give dominion and it gives under God, Daniel's God his dominion and glory and honor. God's going to raise up sons. Now, I'm, all, I'm not trying to be chauvinist. We, we have the bride. Thank God for the bride. This hurts so hard for me sometimes. I'm the bride. <laughs> Men, we are the bride. Women, you are sons. We need a little masculinity bought into the body of Christ again. No, no, no. Serious. We need men that aren't playing politically correct. Prophets and soldiers of the cross who can stand up to this kind of junk that's coming with a clear word from God. Give us sons who are women's sons. No, that's Bible. Do you not know that you are the sons? Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we might be called the sons of God. He's talking to women and men. We are in his image, male and female. We are the image havers of God. Adam was given an image. Eve was given an image of Christ and together they were to rule. It's time that the church begins to learn how to rule. We'll talk about it tomorrow. But it's time for a masculine voice to be heard in New England the tongue of fire again. Yeah, amen. Thank you very much. Are you getting this? We are the sons of God. I'm t- I'm, 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 I feel like I'm coming into a, a fresh awakening. I've had that awakening, but I have to have that awakening over and over again that the old Lou is gone and only Christ is walking inside of me. I'm a, a heavenly creation 
I have the genes of God. I'm actually a whole different kind of humanity than anybody else. For in the birth, I was, in the new birth, I was begotten just like Christ was begotten. Begotten by the Spirit so that I become the generic sons of God. You wonder what the manifestation of the sons of God is? It's been misunderstood. I'll tell you what, Jesus was the manifestation of the Son of God. And when he came out of the desert in a 40-day fast, signs and wonders, he was manifesting the Son of God. All creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God in New England. They're waiting for something that looks like Christ. And it starts by knowing your identity, not trying to do something to please him. I'm a son of God. Well, it's not what I was going to preach on, but maybe it was. He said, you are my, this is my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit, in my transit states, impelled him to go into the wilderness. I thought, what? Impelled? That sounds like someone put him on a spear or something like that. He impelled him. Get out there. It is actually the word ekbalo. Before Jesus was ever ekbaloed into his ministry, he was ekbaloed into the desert. The Spirit says in the one track, the Spirit drove him into the desert. Wow. See, we're not talking about doing fasting. It's when God begins to move us with divine impulse. Fasting no longer becomes a burden because the Spirit is driving us to challenge hell, to get delivered from temptations and demonic powers. I tell you, the 40-day fast of Jesus is not an anomaly. He is going to live inside his church again, his ecclesia. And I think once again, he is actually bowing his church into something that's going to release the great awakenings. That's what happened in Jesus. Does that make sense? I want you to get this. The Spirit was driving him, and the Spirit is still driving men and women to fast. It's not legalism. It's the divine impulse of God that moves people. I preached on 40 days of fasting some time ago. A man walked up to me and says, I've never fasted. I've never even thought about fasting. But I was so moved by your message. And I want to fast. Would you pray for me for the grace of fasting for 40 days? I prayed for him. He came back some time later and he said, Lou, I literally could not eat for 40 days. He said, I was compelled by the spirit 40 days of water. And the last I heard signs and wonders, the dead person was raised. It's Jesus' manifestation to go. He goes into the desert by the Spirit so that he has overcome Satan in his own life. So that now he has authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I'm not talking about an anomaly. I'm going to tell you stories tonight. I want to create faith. I believe we're on the verge of great awakening. I've been saying that for about 30 years. I've come around circle about 30 times. But I know someday it's coming. And I try to seize those Kairos moments when the Spirit of God begins to move me into the desert. Because when I begin to get excited about fasting, I'm getting excited not because I don't get to eat. I'm getting excited what's on the tail end of this thing. 
Because the Bible says, in when you fast, like he tells you to fast, the Father, who in secret, the Father will reward you openly. There is a reward for fasting. And it's in red letter edition. I don't care what the faith people, you don't need to fast. I, you, can, you don't have to. I just want the reward. I want the reward, the open reward. I believe I'm living, on I'm living in the reward of 30 years of fasting. And I came here to create faith to a message that I believe with all my heart that what these kids dreamed about, we're going to see. Let me lay out kind of this, this journey. Do you, do you get the spirit bellowed into, into the desert before he was bellowed into the ministry? This is, I'm not sure exactly how to go from here. But turn with me to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter uh, three or four. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. People say, well, Jesus' fast was a supernatural fast. No, he fasted as the Son of Man, not the Son of God. Son of God and Son of Man in one man, in Christ Jesus. It didn't say he became thirsty, it said he became hungry. So he probably fasted on water. Now, Moses was a supernatural 40-day fast because he didn't eat food or water. Wow. Elijah fasted 40 days, and that was not a supernatural fast except for the fact that, you know, I, I've told people that there's a sure way to do 40 days of fasting. It works every time. Want to hear? On water. You're all looking. It's a joke. <laughs> but the deal is, it says, and the angel, when he was so depressed, the angel came to him and he cooked a cake. So the, the key to 45 is eating angel food cake. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. You'll get sick and will sit in you for 40 days. <laughs> have to do a salt flush. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, honey. I'm having fun tonight because tomorrow will be miserable. <laughs> I want you to, I want you to, and Jesus led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became angry, hungry. <laughs> that also happens when you fast. <laughs> My kids, oh, dad, fasting again, stay away. <laughs> then this, this temptations, you know, you know the whole story. Verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister. Let me just say this. I believe that something about the fast, and I'm not just talking 40 days, I'm talking about a fast, an extended fast. And I'll, I'll talk about this atomic power through prayer and fasting. 
But there's something about extended fasting that prepares you to overcome Satan. I remember I went to an inner healing thing where, you know, they wrote a root, you, you, those kind of inner healing things. And you haven't gone through those things. They take you through every sin and break every curse. And I will never forget, I was in this thing. I, I battled issues in my heart for years. And, and um, I'm in there, and, and they're praying over me, and they're going through this, and then suddenly... In one area of my life, suddenly, I'm caught up into a vision, and I see Jesus wrestling with the devil in the desert. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. I wept for a half an hour because I saw that in the desert, Jesus was warring for my deliverance. By overcoming Satan in temptation, he was actually paving a way for us to break through into freedom from temptation. I realized that the 40-day fast wasn't just some nice little deal. He was actually warring for me. And I began to wail in this vision that the love of God, that Jesus was fasting for breakthrough for me. It was the cross that broke the power of sin. But the fast actually was powerful in that he obeyed the Spirit. And actually was a forerunner of a company of people that would love God more than food, more than sex, more than greed. And that actually that fast was a prototype fast for a generation that would move into that same thing and overcome Satan so that it would have power over the powers of hell. I'm not saying you get power through the powers of hell through fasting. It's a God-ordained means. Jesus has already overcome the powers of the darkness. And in Christ, it is done. But he has also given us something natural that we might move into as an aid and a strength for us to overcome Satan. Does that make sense? He overcame him in the desert for us. Here's, here's what happens. Verse 14, and this was what's to fulfill, was spoken to the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16 highlighted the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has dawned. Man, I love that scripture. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows he's a son. He's never done a miracle. He goes into a 40-day fast, and he comes out of that fast, and there is a lamp shining so bright, and those who sat in the valley of the shadow of death have seen a great light. Come on. And those who sat in darkness, a great light has dawned. There was something about coming through the fast that released the manifestation of the Son of God. It was the manifestation. It says in the Scripture, somewhere it says, it says, somewhere it said, and and these are the, the, the first time that he manifested his glory. There's something about a fast that manifests, that helps, releases the manifestation of Jesus' glory through you. Because no longer is that flesh man basically dominating the spirit man in fasting. There's four major appetites. Food appetites, the strongest. Number two, lust appetite. Number three, Greed appetite, 
And then you have that little spiritual appetite. And without fasting, the lust, the entertainment, all of this stuff dominates you. And the little spirit man inside is crying out, Feed me! Feed me! Feed me! But in fasting, these other soul desires begin to be dominated and the spirit man becomes buff. He says, I want you to become strong in spirit. Strong is fasting is a God-ordained means to move into strength of spirit. I'm not just preaching theory. I've seen it in my own life. I tell you what, something happens in fasting when the desires of food begin to wane, when the desires of lust begin to wane. Something happens and there comes an increasing intensive desire to love and know God. When the bridegroom is gone, then they shall fast. The fasting is for the longing of the bridegroom. This is not legalism. It's a God-ordained means to hunger for God. And our culture, our culture dominates us. But there's coming a generation that's going to return to apostolic method to get apostolic power. We don't need more methods We need apostolic men. For Paul says, I fasted often. The early fathers said, encourage everyone to do 40-day fasts. And they would say, and I don't remember the exact word, but through 40 days, we see regularly the dead being raised, the early church fathers. I don't have all the answers to this. All I know is this. God put this thing in my heart for 30 years. And I've been walking with this vision for the call of calling a whole generation to fasting and prayer. Now, I believe there are seasons when basically he's calling for feasting. And as John Piper says, our feasting should be as spiritual as our fasting. It should be unto Jesus is our feasting. And under Jesus is our fasting. Enjoy it for the glory of God and let your parties be a, and feasting be worship unto God. But then you have fasting. Oh, that miserable vocation of fasting. <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this, but it's been a long time. So I, one time I was fasting. I cheated on my fast. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. I think I have broken more fast than you all. <laughs> I remember once, you know, whenever you fast, the pink box shows up. I don't know if they have that here. They have Dunkin' Donuts. It's probably in a pink and pink box. Donuts appear every time you set your face. I mean, Jesus was tempted after 40 days. I get tempted in the first day. <laughs> Seriously, Seth. Come on. It is. I, uh, I remember one time I said, honey, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm fast. I, 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 I said, honey, I'm fasting today. She says, what do you want for breakfast? <laughs> she never agrees with me, but I remember that. One time I was fasting. I cheated on this fast. Looking around, I snuck yogurt and chips. You know this one said. I, I snuck yogurt and chips. The next day, I was in a 24-hour house of prayer there in Pasadena, and Sitting there and praying, and this prophetic intercessor lady, she walks in, really scary lady. She says, Lou, I had a dream of you last night. In the dream, you're sitting right where you're sitting right now. I said, oh, 
man, I like this dream. She said, but in the dream, I was very disappointed with you because you're supposed to be fasting, but you were eating yogurt and chips. So I'm not talking about a holy man here. I'm, I'm talking about folks we struggle with these things. I'm sure a lot of my fasts have been flesh fasts, but a lot of them have been born of God, and part of this is to know what the Spirit of Christ inside of you is calling you into being. Jesus fasted, and then he feasted with sinners, and you just had to be with him when he was doing whatever he was doing. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. I don't remember what I was talking about, but those who sat in the valley of the shadow of death have seen a great light. This was the testimony of someone came out of the fast. Something's going on in my spirit. I, I believe, I believe we are headed into days of great awakening. In American history, I, uh, recent last hundred years, I believe there have been two particular times. For me, there's been 30, but, <laughs> but historically, two particular times when God was ekbalowing the church into fasting because something was coming out of that fast. I believe it was Jesus' fast. The Bible talks about God's chosen fast. If you do the fast like he does and giving your bread to the poor, if you, you, know, you, you don't hide yourself from your own flesh, stop pointing the finger, get rid of your accusations, get rid of your legalism, the bondage of the yoke of bondage and all these things. Fasting helps to loosen this stuff up and gives tenderness to heart, makes us weep easily. How many of you, when you fast, you just find yourself, the heart gets tender again. To the point, you almost feel like I, if I could live there forever, well, the fact is, we are in the new, in the millennium. We are going to live with glorified bodies that don't need food. Because we, oh, and in fasting actually opens the door to the measure of that glory. I think it's interesting that three men stood on the Mount of tri tri Transfiguration, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. All three of them had done 40-day fasts, and all three of them were brought into the glory dimension. All three of them were in epoch-changing moments. The fast of Jesus, the fast of Moses, and the fast of Elijah were actually transitional fasts into a whole new age. And I believe that always before every revival, just read it in history, it's always been preceded by outrageous prayer, fasting, hungerings of God. Lord, loose it tonight here. Loose intercessors here. Loose revivalists here tonight, God. That New England could say those who sat in the valley of the shadow of darkness have seen a great light. Oh, I'm asking, ekbolo your church again into this, God. I'll tell you a few stories. I believe that I want to create faith for the 40-day fast that begins tomorrow and goes to April 9th. I'm going to pray for the grace of fasting. Some of you, well, anyway, I go back to 1946. 1946, there was a book written called Atomic Power Through Prayer and Fasting. 1945, the bomb was dropped, Japan. 1946, a fasting movement began and people from all over the world began to come to San Diego and begin to put to test long fasts. 
People would come 10 days on water, 21 days on water, 60 days, 40 days on water. A grace of fasting was being released out of San Diego. This book was released in 1946. 1947, healing revivalists began to read this book. Guys like T.L. Osborne went into long 40-day fasts, and out of it, signs and wonders begin to break out, and the healing revivals they point, many of those guys point to reading this book as the catalyst to the entrance into power and signs and wonders. It's the Jesus fast. He comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit and came out of the desert, according to Luke, in the power of the Spirit. There is something that, trans- that happens in the fast. I'm not talking about the gospel of fasting. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus who lives inside of us and fasts inside of us. See, does this help you think this way? This helps me to think this way because it's not legalism. It's not trying to earn something. It's finding out what God is groaning and trying to birth. 40 days is like a birthing season for something new and fresh. And some of us, a lot of faith is being born here. So the 47 breaks, the the Holy Spirit breaks out with healing revivals all over the globe. This book, I found this book in Uganda. The the book is millions, I mean, I don't know how many, I think millions of copies and tracts spread all over the world. Why? God was breathing the Jesus fast. Jesus was breathing the Jesus fast. And it, 4748, a group of people in Canada are reading this book and they said, we didn't even know there was such a thing as extended fasting. And the grace of fasting rested on our company three months, all winter long. And then suddenly the outbreak of the Holy Spirit and what was called the latter rain movement broke out an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they called it the manifestation of the sons of God. Isn't that interesting? Signs and wonders breaking out and they're calling it the manifestation of the sons of God. There were distortions to the message, but it was a real message. Jesus was manifesting himself in healing and signs. Come on, New England needs a manifestation of signs and wonders to break this intellectual wall of the Jericho of Boston. Something in the flame. Roger just had a dream of the flaming tongue. He said the flaming tongue was coming back. I said, God, give us the flaming tongue. That's more powerful than the orations of demonized humanistic professors. Come on. Give us some Daniel, Shadrachs, and Meshachs and Abednegoes in their universities that are praying and having visions and dreams that blow kings away in antichrist systems. Daniel is a prototype of the last day's university student. He shares the same time period as we do. He was at the beginning of the times of Gentiles, and we are at the end of the times of the Gentiles. He's not, uh, he is not an anomaly. He's a prototype of the kind of university student that God would raise up in the last day and challenge Babylon's universities. The fasting of Daniel as a teenager is what prepares him for the dream revelation that dominates culture and releases the gospel. Anyway, I'm going to keep going just for a little bit. Is that all right? So, So this book, 1948, guess what else happens? Israel becomes a nation. 
I believe it was a Joel 2 worldwide fast that God had called. The church picked it up, and Joel 2 is after the fast. I'll restore the land. I'll restore the land of Israel. This is 1946. Israel comes to Guess what else happens? 1948, 49. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. He gets converted in 1944. He gets converted. He's in a meeting, has a vision of the campuses of America. And Bill Bright is caught up into the swirl of the evangelistic fire that was born out of the fast of Jesus. He was following laborers into the harvest field out of the fasting culture it came from Franklin Hall, that thing, atomic power to perfect 1949, Billy Graham. 1949, a man named Louis Zamperini gets saved. The movie Unbroken, just in the Pasadena Rose Parade. Who's the chief guy, the head guy of the parade? Louis Zamperini. Is this crazy? And then he dies and the movie comes out. It's a sign. We're entering. You know what else is on the, on the floats of the Pasadena? You, Picture Billy Graham going to God. I think God is saying we're entering into a new season where movie stars are going to be converted to Jesus and we're healing. We're hearing the stories. I heard this guy, what's his name in the movie Fury? What was his name? I heard he gave his life to Christ. In the movie, from the movie, that's amazing when he says, Here am I, send me. In that movie, that is outrageous. Don't go watch it if you don't like bloody movies. But man, give us some sons who are made for war. <laughs> anyway. The producer of the movies, a Christian, was witnessing to him. And so was Brad Pitt, who grew up in church, but is an atheist basically now. But Brad Pitt was telling him the gospel that he learned as a kid. And the guy gave his life to Christ. I'll tell you. God can use donkeys. And pits. <laughs> We're hearing stories of the move of God in Hollywood. The same thing happened in 49. The Hollywood revivals break out. What would happen? Fasting and prayer have been sweeping, preparing the way for those who sat in darkness to see a great light. That's right. It's, 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 his, it's, it's, it's the way just Jesus is the prototype son. We're walking through his life. This book rocks me. It's rocked me for so long. It's a kind of crazy book, but it's, I love this book. Lord, how, what else? How do, how do I do this? Well, so, 1946. 1996. Actually, 1995 and six. Another book comes out. Tammy? She prophesied. How did that happen today? I, you were, we were talking about fasting, and I said something about Bill Bright. I said, I said you, you have a word for me or something. Well, that's why we came, yeah. <laughs> and you gave me a word, Bill Bright, not knowing right. that actually, huh? They drove from New York to give me a word on Bill Bright. On fasting, she doesn't know that I brought the book today about Bill Bright because in 1946, 44, 19, 1994, Bill Bright goes on a 40-day fast, and he calls in 1995. He calls two million believers 
to fast 40 days. That before the end of the year 2000, the greatest revival and awakening in, in American and worldwide, uh, uh, worldwide, and, uh, worldwide would take place if two million believers would go on 40-day fasts for the great harvest to come and to repent for our nation. I read the book in 95, in January of 1996. I go on a 40-day fast because I'm not playing cautious with the prophetic word. I don't want to be the last one into this thing. And I launched that house of prayer in Pasadena, 24-hour house of prayer that has, that's launched all this, and I wish I had time to go into it, but I do want to go into it. Just during that 40 days, 40 days, I, ha I heard the audible voice of God. I fell asleep in the house of prayer. Mighty house of prayer. My shift was from 3 to 6. A.M., sometimes stand, having done everything to stand. <laughs> and I hear the audible voice of God. Stretch forth a wakening rod over the earth. Will you do that? I've pondered this thing since 1996. He gave me the call. I believe that's part of it. But I believe part of it is day and night prayer the Moravian lampstand, and part of it is the 40-day fast that those who said, I feel like I'm stretching out a wakening rod in New England tonight. Those who sat in the valley of the shadow of death have seen a great light. 1996, that's when this is. So it's 50 years after Franklin Hall. Bill Bright has no idea. He gets saved he gets, he gets his calling right after the fast. He doesn't know what the Pentecostals are doing. And he writes a book and he says that fasting is God's atomic power in this book. He says what prayer is, fasting is the atomic power. It's 50 years. It's a jubilee. And I tell you what, I don't know if you were a part of this. But I'm telling you, wherever we went over the next four years, thousands, and th I was part of the mobilization, we're going on 40-day fasts, looking toward the end of the year 2000 for the greatest awakening in American history. I can say this to you today. I don't believe that we have seen the greatest awakening in the history of America. I believe he had the right word. He had the wrong application. I believe what was happening is that something was coming that was going to prepare for the greatest awakening. And the preparation by the end of the year 2000, part of it was a half a million kids gathering to the mall in D.C., fasting and praying. Part of it was 1999, IHOP begins. Part of it is the 24-7 movement begins. Part of it is Jericho Center of Dick Eastman, all in 1999. I believe what he saw was a coming of a great preparation, a prayer, so much prayer, day and night prayer everywhere that is going to accumulate into a moment of the overflowing of bowls and then suddenly everything begins to shake i believe we're moving into that into that time do you get are you, do you understand where i'm going i'm trying to find the storyline of god with these prophecies that you've had about bradford i gotta believe they're still on I got to believe what's going on here in J-Hop and Hilltop is a part of the fulfillment and preparation of some things coming. Because if the harvest came, you're going to need buildings a whole lot bigger than this. 
You're going to have to have the big university lecture center. You're going to have to have football stadiums. The prophecies of the prophets, stadiums will be filled. I, I've seen stadiums filled. God gave me prophecies in 1996. He showed me that stadiums were going to be filled after my fast. And it would be a John the Baptist movement. I remember 1997. I did a CD called Extreme Disciples. I just listened to it the other day and I never put it on. My heart is burning. A guy just asked me, if you were to write a book, just this last week, if you were to write a book that would be the tipping point for the great awakening all over the globe, what would you write on? And instantly joy exploded in my spirit. I said, I would write on the 40-day fast that initiates it. I'm actually in talking with chosen books about launching this because what Bill Bright did here, I've walked in this 30 years. I'm saying, God, I want to be a part of something to give birth. I prayed for stadiums. I saw stadiums filled. But it was a, when, I went to, when I went to Berkeley for the call where the rebellion of the 60s might have begun, David and these guys right here, I was saying, Lord, has the call failed? Seems like we haven't turned America. That was the dream of the call. And I felt the Lord whisper to me and said, Lou, if it was truly a John the Baptist movement, then you can bet there's coming a Jesus movement. And the last word of John was not prepare the way of the Lord. The last word of John was, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. As coming a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need something more than a trigger, a tr little, uh, you know, just a little whatever of tongues. We need a baptism of fire. He said, when he comes, I've been praying, when you come, we need you to come again. Not with a little dribble of tongues, but a baptism of fire that makes people into witnesses and martyrs and evangelists. That's what I'm praying. God, give us the tongue of fire again in New England. Give us Jonathan Edwards, New England lights again. Give us the New England lights, Seth. Give us the New England lights again. Men and women forged in the fires of fasting and prayer in the desert where nobody knows them. And they get a voice out on the desert. And they'll get their Luke 180 turnaround. And he was in the desert until the day of his public appearance. Come on. It's time for people to go to the desert than, than to go to the stage. Go to the desert, you get a stage from God. Try to grab a stage and you'll fall off the stage. Seriously, you try to grab a stage, your character won't be able to contain it and you'll end up falling off the stage and make a name. You'll hurt the name of God. Give us men and women who've gone to the desert who can deal with secret journeys of 10, 20 years, 2006. I'm telling you, I'm just going to keep going for a little bit, but I just got a phone call from a man named Randy Bolander. He was with me with his family when we started Bound for Life, the, 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 the tape movement. And, and a few years later, she began to preach about a million adoptions to end abortion. And then God spoke to them, you got to put feet to it. If you're going to pray it, you got to put feet to it. So they end up adopting a, a, a child. They come back, and then in a, couple of year, in, a, in a couple of years, they get a phone call that there's a lady that's not in her right mind, and she's given birth to two children, two, to a set of twins. They go down and they adopt the twins within 24 hours. Now they have, like, I don't know, six children. 
Then they get pregnant right after that, but they couldn't get pregnant before. That's what happens when you adopt, you get pregnant. You stir up those motherly instincts, and the body begins to feel like, I can get pregnant. And right after, sometime after that, they get a phone call. The same lady is living in a storage bin, and she's pregnant with two children, another set of twins. And Randy's thinking, we can't do this. This is crazy. We, we can hardly feed these that we have. And then the thought came to him, and he said, and he thought to himself, what will I tell my twins, my first set of twins, that I could have adopted their siblings, but I didn't have room? They adopted the second set of twins. Tonight he's in Florida. And the woman had just given birth to another child and the state is warring for that child. And they want that baby. And for the first time she's come to her right mind tonight and she says, I want you and Randy, Kelsey and Randy, to have that baby. On Monday, they need, a, they need a, a lawyer and a caseworker to be there to witness it. I want us to pray right now that God will put her in her right mind and deliver the baby. It will be, I don't know how many children. Let's just pray right now. Father, we pray God, put her in her right mind. We bind Satan, the lies off of that lady. Lord, that all these five children will be glories to you. That her pain in her life will be full of fruit because she gave birth to sons and daughters of adoption, God. We ask for this baby. Move it forward out of state and into the home of the Bolanders in Jesus' name. Can you agree with me? Can we say yes to this in Jesus' name? I mean, come on. Ten years they've been in trial. When they started adopting, all their support began to go down. No money. Over the last couple of months, they were in the darkest place. No finances. This whole past year, it was like the darkest, deepest wilderness. And they get a phone call from a man who says, I heard you preach on adoption. I adopted a child because of that. I am laboring with uh, millionaires, and we want to start a movement to end adoption with abortion. We want to... We want to multiply with the millions of dollars. We want to multiply adoption agencies, and you're the only guy. How much money do you need? We'll pay your salary, and I'll raise up 20 millionaires to keep. It's like 10 years, and then suddenly overflow events take place. It'll be 10 years next year, 2016, since we've been here, and I'm saying I'm looking for overflow events flow over into divine action and power. I want to give you faith for fasting. I tell you, there's a out of this thing, atomic power to prayer and fasting. I wrote a book called Fast Forward. Beat up old book. I love this book. I had 8,000 copies. I don't know where they are. I think I have one left. Self-published. But I was praying, God, do you want me to call a 40-day fast into the millennium? call the globe into the, a millennial fast. And I said, God, if you do, and you want me to write a book that's on my heart called Fast Forward, tonight, Paul Cain's coming to our meeting. He's a prophet. He's coming to our meeting. If you want me to do this, have him call me and my wife out by name and use a scripture, cast your bread upon the waters. We're sitting in the back. He doesn't know us. He calls my wife out by her first name, which nobody knows. They know her by Therese. Her first name is Joanne and gives her birth date. Calls me out by my middle name, Dean, and gives my birth date. And he says, and I see that you've been fasting. And the Lord says, you're skinny because you're fasting. 
And he says, and so the Lord says, cast your bread upon the waters. Dude, I wrote the book. I love this book. And in it is the chapter on the 40-day fast. I wish I could go into it. I wrote this thing. We've been fasting. And then recently, I was, re- I watch, I, I was listening, and I'm almost done here, I think. I was, I was, uh, uh, what was I? I was listening to my, my CD that I'm going to pull out again and get it out there again called Extreme Disciples. And I'm burning with calling the world to 40 days of fasting because I actually believe we could be moving into the Joel 2 moment where I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. I, could I be insane? Maybe. But here's the issue. I, this, I did this CD in 1997. And this is how it starts. Joel, the fast. And I begin praying. I begin praying. God, release the universal fast for the universal harvest. And I'm really, could I have been prophesying in 1997? There's coming a worldwide Jesus fast to issue in a worldwide movement. Here's the thing. 2016 is going to be 70 years since 1946 when atomic power was released and a move of God took place and Israel became a nation. When you see the fig tree blossom, this generation will not pass away. That's 70 years. ISIS is rolling down. This massive rage in the Middle East. Could we be entering into a new day for the outpourings of the Holy Spirit and God's restoring of natural Israel? Could, I'm just trying to know the times and seasons. When we were at Berkeley, this was a burning in my heart. When we were at Berkeley, which I felt was like the final call of the Luke 117 movement we were a part of, the John the Baptist. And I felt like we were moving now, not just from the John the Baptist, we were moving into the stadium awakening of the Jesus movement. These guys had come to my office a couple of years ago and said, there's, there's coming a shift to the call used to be fasting and prayer, but it's not going to be just fasting and prayer. It's going to be the proclamation of the gospel. Signs and wonders in stadiums are going to be filled. And it has to do with Billy Graham's mantle coming on the nation. Billy Graham is soon to pass, and that mantle. I tell you what, Jesus, Jesus fivefold apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor's teacher, fivefold ministry, there are seasons when he manifests himself in one of those giftings in an amazing way. In the 60s and 70s, it was Jesus the evangelist because the Jesus movement swept and everyone was getting saved. In the 70s, the teacher movement came forth because he had to sustain and keep the harvest so the teachers and the pastors were raised up. In the 80s, the prophetic movement began to come. The 90s and into this next, last decade, the apostolic movement because I want to tell you what, I believe that Jesus the evangelist is once again going to rise in a, and he's going to manifest himself as the one who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. He's looking for a stirring of evangelism. Father, stir evangelism in his, stir evangelism in his Jesus name, God. Stir it, God. Stir it in me. The end of that meeting with those guys for two days, those YWAMers, talking about this shift. A prophet calls my friend, Chris Berglund, and says, hey, 
Do you know where Lou Engle is? Tell him. If you do, I had a visitation last night. Tell him. There's coming a shift to the call. And it will not be just fasting and prayer, but it will be signs and wonders in the proclamation of the gospel. And stadiums are going to be filled and Billy Graham's mantles coming on the nation. Come on. That's enough to grab a hold of and lay hold of this. So I feel like I begin to set myself. I've seen stadiums filled when we prayed for three years and fasted for three years. I feel like I'm in a season to give birth to stadium Christianity where there's so many people getting saved. The prophets have seen it. No bad news tonight on the news, only good news. The stadiums of America are filled with people. God is everywhere. Could we believe for such a thing? It's happened in New England history before where Yale was overrun by pagans. And they started preaching the gospel, Dwight, whatever, not Moody, but the other guy. And revival broke out in Yale and turned it around. They used to tar and feather Christians in the universities of New England. Did you know that? I haven't seen anybody tarred and feathered lately, recently. God can turn it around with a great awakening. I believe this. I'd like to believe that we're stepping into a new era. That'll be 110 years from Azusa Street. 2016, be 110 years. I was there in Berkeley, and the Lord just stirred my spirit. And I, and I, I had had kind of an argument six years before with a black leader from the Azusa Street organization. I call him up. He's in Brazil. I ask his forgiveness. We get reconciled, black and white, getting reconciled. And he says, Lou, the call Azusa Street's waiting for you. I thought... This thing stuck me in the heart. So I'm just praying. I said, I felt like the Lord said, look up April 9th anniversary, the 110th anniversary of Zeus Street. Look up April 9th. It's a Saturday. You could hold the call on that. I look it up. It's a Saturday. And I'm thinking, God, do you want me to do the call of Zeus Street to bring black and white together? Maybe God's got an answer to the riots that are coming. Maybe revival can overtake the riots. He did it there in, Pen in Azusa Street where they said the color line was washed away in the blood. It was a black man and the black man still has the inheritance of leading this nation into revival. What if we took the next year and we prayed John 17 all year long? God, I pray that they may be one, even eyes on fire. Oh God, release another mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm pondering these things. I call my friend and I tell him this thing, and he says, Lou, do you know my dream? Remember my dream? No, I don't remember it. He says, 2013, you and I were on a 40-day on a, on a fast, an Iqbalo fast in, in Mod Auditorium, and I had a dream. And I was given five sets of five plane tickets. And in this dream, uh, uh, we could not fly southwest. We had to fly united. He said, that's what stuck out in the dream. And he said, I was so excited, I wanted to see when the tickets expired so I wouldn't miss my flights. He opens up the jacket of the tickets, and they expire in 1,080 days. From the time of the dream, he marked 1,080 days, and it goes to April 9th, 2016. And he says, Lou, I don't know if the call is going to happen on that day, but I believe that California will be in the throes of the greatest awakening by that time. I don't know, but I would rather get ekbalowed in my spirit than sit around and be a skeptic and miss history. The Pharisees miss history. They miss the day of their visitation because they were religious but not spiritually hungry or not spiritually perceptive. 
God just needs a company who said we dare to believe. This is what I'm believing. I am believing beginning tonight. God is going to release fasting. Oh, I'm going, I believe they're in Pasadena. We're going for a year of fasting. I believe God wants to call us into Daniel fasts. Fasting where maybe you can't fast food, but you can do a Daniel fast. Turn off your televisions. Turn off all that media stuff. I'm not saying watch a good movie now. I'm simply saying we are so earthbound. We've, it's time to lose gravity. Come up here. This culture is killing us. We were meant for pleasures at his right hand. It's time for Christian hedonists. Those who love the pleasures of heaven. Fasting is part of what allows us to enter in. Oh, Spurgeon said our days of corporate fasting were high days indeed. Never were we closer to the central glory. Come on. Spurgeon, never were we closer to the central glory. I did. I went on a 40-day fast some years ago. And I, before I fasted, it was on water, except for at the end, I kind of cheated. And then I tried to do penance, tried to do an Esther fast, no food, no water at the end to do penance for making up for the cheat. <laughs> that was not being egg-ballowed. I mean, a guy had a dream that I didn't do, do, do penance, that I had already accomplished what I had said. Isn't that awesome? I didn't have to do penance. The beginning of that fast, I'm, a, I'm, I'm soon done. The beginning of that fast, I had a dream that God was operating on my belly. I woke up and I said, God, you want me to live a Daniel fast? You want to operate on my appetites so I have appetites of heaven? I said, God, please operate on me. Do something sovereign and supernatural. God, give me desires for heavenly things. I went into that fast. I might have been midway through the fast, and I was just thinking about it today. I wish, Trez, I would have actually got the date of it. I may have been 21 days into the fast like Daniel. And Julie Meyer, prophet Kansas City, emails me and says, I had a dream last night that you were sleeping in this place, and you were fasting, and five angels came into your room and operated on your belly and took the book of Daniel, lit it on fire, and sealed it into your belly. And then she said, all these young people begin to come to you, and their shirts said, the sons of thunder. I haven't obeyed God, but recently I've gone, and I've started to do Daniel fasting in a way I've never done before, and I found myself walking in a higher plane. Oh, I can enjoy an internet burger, but I'm going to tell you there's something. When the flesh begins to be dominated by the Spirit, heaven begins to actually take access. I want to create faith tonight. I'm launching this fast tonight. Our company back in Pasadena, others are going on this thing, but actually I feel like it's a forerunner to the Psalm 110 fast. 2016, and I believe with our kids saying this, coming here with this dream, I'm believing God that God's going to give us an awakening in New England, the universities of New England. Why don't we do this for 40 days? What if you just took a fast one meal? What if you took, turned off your television and your iPads and, and all this? And, and basically, I'm, I, I am consecrating a fast. The word consecrate means to associate with the sacred. 40 days. To associate with the sacred. They call, they call these, these consecration fasts. 
stand with me. If God doesn't move you, it doesn't mean that somehow you're missed, you've missed something. But I know God is following some people into this season to pray for a great awakening. I'm going after one of my children. I fasted 31 days for one of my children when he was 13 years ago, desperate for his heart. And he started having dreams of revival and God began to turn his heart back to his dad. It's time for the Elijahs to stretch themselves out over dead kids and raise them from the dead or over your husband. I ran into a young man. I was mobilizing for the call in Pasadena. Hispanic young man. After the meeting, he said, I've never heard of the call, but I've named my ministry the call for the call to fasting. And he says, I got it in a dream. I saw young people falling into the fires and into the waters. Sexual immorality, witchcraft is so dark. I was trying to get out of the dream. And then I heard a voice say, the answer to this fast to this problem will be found in Matthew 17. He goes to sleep again, dreams at the same time. Three times he dreams it, tries to get out of the dream. The answer will be found in Matthew 17. He turns to Matthew 17. It's where the father comes to Jesus and says, my son keeps falling into the fires and the waters. And your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Jesus said, this kind coming not out, but by prayer and fasting. The Lord began to call him into this fasting ministry of the, called the call. I tell you, it's time for us to fast and pray to raise kids out of the fires and the waters of witchcraft, humanism, sexual immorality. Brothers and sisters, God wants to shine a great light in New England. Tonight, if this is you and you feel a stirring in your spirit, you go back tonight and say, God, what do you want me to do? Some of you may say, I just don't feel like it's time. But maybe in a month, God will stir you. But till April 9th, we're going on. And then I'm going to Azusa Street to talk to the leaders of Azusa Street to maybe hold the call in a stadium saying, God, could you give us a Jesus movement, a Pentecostal fire again? Would you raise your hands and say, God, here am I. Stir my spirit. Father, I pray right now for the grace of fasting that you would lead men and women not into bondage, not into legalism, but God, you would follow them, that Jesus inside of them would stir them to pray for John 17, to pray that those in New England have seen a great light, seen a great light, God. I want to call you I want to call you into a prayer assignment. They're in Pasadena this last weekend. My friend had a dream, my prophet friend. And the dream said, the children of ISIS have seen a great light. The children of ISIS has seen a great, this is what he saw in the dream. And then it says, the children of ISIS is, is no more. And I thought he made a text mistake. No, he says, that's exactly how it's like, is, is. The children of ISIS is, is, is no more. 
Not that ISIS is no more, but the jealousy of God is sweeping through that land. And he's coming to, to save the children of ISIS. They're taking children as sex slaves. They're taking children, making them soldiers and be actually actually using the children that they capture to beat their own people. It's so demonic. Folks, we're looking at a we're looking at World War III right now. This is nothing less. When they killed the Coptic Christians there over there in, 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 in Egypt, I'm saying we're entering into a world war. No political thing, no army is gonna defeat this. But God is gonna raise up a prayer movement that those and in those who sat in darkness. Can we begin for 40 days and pray? Lord, we just command. Out of this fast, those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We're hearing the conversions of ISIS. There's dreams. Syrian refugees are being saved. The, the stories, God is shaking through the chaos. He's loosing the kairos of God. Would you lift up your hands and begin to just declare the children of ISIS. Go ahead, begin to pray it. The children of ISIS have seen a great light. Loose a great light, God, in the Middle East. Loose a great light over the Kurds. Loose a great light over Syria. Loose a great light, God, over Lebanon, Iraq, and Iran. Over Egypt, God. You command light into the darkness. Lord, the harvest, ekbalo laborers into the harvest fields of that region, God. Father, Lord, the harvest, ekbalo laborers in New England. We say, New England, you who have sat in darkness, you shall see a great light. Jesus, release the Jesus fast again into the earth. Release your fast into the earth, I pray in Jesus' name. Now put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray for the release of the grace of fasting. Loose grace. Loose courage and faith. Give them prayer assignments to lock on to for the next 40 days. God, we thank you what you did in 2006 that birthed this year. We're coming to 10 years. Loose a fresh wave. Prayer, fasting, evangelism. I want to pray for you right now. And I do it wherever I go. I want you to have faith that God is going to give you dreams. Fasting is the landing strip of revelation. Daniel fasts because he's looking for understanding. How many of you need answers, keys to unlock doors in your life that aren't opening? God, I pray for dreams and visions. I pray New England, it would not be said that visions were rare in those days. Loose another Samuel movement. Loose another Samuel movement. Release prophets. Release the prophetic anointing on this place. Dreams and visions, God. 